Hey everybody, this is Pastor Kerry Bowman of the Awakening Church in the Temecula Valley of California, and uh, we're excited to be able to host a conference coming up on March 17th and 18th called the Plan A Conference. And I have with me two of the key speakers, Dwight and Charlie, and uh, for them just to unpack a little bit of why you should come and show up, and uh, we're excited to be able to host it. We are so excited to see you there. I'm, I'm Charlie, I'll be one of the speakers, and maybe you've wondered, how can my life make an impact on this planet? What is my life purpose? What does it look like? You'll discover that and more at the Plan A Conference. You do not want to miss it. There are reports coming in worldwide across the nation, people saying, these were incredible. These, these radically changed my life. I knew I was to have an impact, but I never knew how. And I discovered the model of Jesus at Plan A. I'm so fired up to do it. In fact, there's a pastor of a, of a well-known church in Denver who was a part of a Plan A conference, and he recently said, he stood up and he said, these were the best entire two days of my entire ministry career because of what I received. And then he went on to say, mark my words, I believe as a church we will see more people come to Christ in the next year than in our 90-year history because of what God has done at Plan A. So we would be thrilled to see you there, and I believe you will not feel it's wasted time. I think you're going to be so fired up going, I want more, I want more. So we're so excited to see you there. I <clears throat> had the privilege of, of speaking and sharing some of these concepts worldwide. We've shared them in business settings. We've shared them with world leaders. We've shared them with stay-at-home moms and, and teachers and athletic coaches. I've shared them with, with medical community. And, and every to a person, each one of them have said, these concepts for how to lead a high-impact life every day, everywhere, in every facet and sphere of society work. It works because it's what Jesus was teaching us, but many people have missed what's right in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. You're about to get equipped for the rest. I've had people walk up to me at the end of a Plan A conference and say, I feel like my life is just beginning. Uh, and they're halfway into their chronological years, but so excited that for the first time, they know how to live a life on purpose with their heart on fire. So we're super excited, and, and you need to know there'll be some other people there as well. In addition to you, we have people flying in from other parts of the country, some from clear on the opposite side of the coast, who said, I want this. And so we're excited to be able to be with you, looking so forward to coming all the way from Denver, Colorado, to invest in you, to invest in your everyday, everywhere you go, life for the rest of your life. Dwight and Charlie are leaders in a ministry called Forge, uh, crafting and encouraging people to have hearts on fire and lives on purpose. And uh, if you want to know more about Forge Ministry, you can go to forgeforward.org. But uh, I've been associated with this ministry m most all my life and what God's doing in the heart of it. And I'm excited to be able to help bring it to the valley for us in California. And uh, so we want our people to come, but we want other churches to come too. So take the opportunity to uh, sign up. You can go to theawakening.church. That's theawakening.church. And you'll find a banner there for Plan A Conference. And you click on that to sign up. But even if you're sort of late signing up, just show up on March the 17th in the evening. And uh, then it runs on Saturday, March 18th until 2 p.m. But we're looking forward to seeing you there. And I'm most looking forward to Jesus showing up hey. and Jesus transforming lives <laughs> as he's doing today in his kingdom. Hmm. God bless. See you soon. Woo! Let's go! Let's get ready! Some of you are going to have FOMO, fear of missing out. You're going to come next Sunday and you go, what happened last weekend? 
We're going to say, why did you stay home? Why did you rearrange your schedule? Come. As I uh, had the opportunity in the last two weekends, actually, to spend time with both Dwight and Charlie, their hearts are stirred to be able to come to the West Coast. They don't have a strong representation on the West Coast, and so we're getting anchored down here more with what their uh, uh, national works have been and even overseas. But uh, Forge Ministries is truly one of the best parachurch organizations I know. Para comes from the word of coming alongside of churches and helping churches and strengthening them. And they are looking forward to being here at the Awakening next week. And I do encourage you to not miss Zach on your way out to sign up. You can sign up by going to the QR code or the website. We want you to be here. And if there's any reason that I can help move uh, that reason aside so you can be here, let me know. If it's a financial thing, it's only 30 bucks, you get a good lunch. I think we're going to have Dickie's Barbecue and we're going to uh, also have a lot of uh, resources for you, some books and those kinds of things. Uh, I'm glad to take care of the 30 bucks. But uh, register, be here, and uh, we're going to meet not just with Forge and Learn. I really believe that we're going to be meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ in a special way. I had the opportunity this week to be with Forge Ministry and uh, travel to uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. And I was with about 40 people from Forge Ministry. They have a number of itinerants and other people. And as a board member, I was representative there. And we met at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, to have an intensive on evangelism and also to be able to build a partnership and a bridge with them as they work with Forge moving forward. And I want you to know that it was a bit of an overwhelming experience to me. Have any of you ever been to the Billy Graham Association in Charlotte, North Carolina? I encourage you to take a trip there. This here is where Billy Graham and his wife Ruth Graham are buried. And uh, Billy Graham, some of you may not know him. If that's true, then you must be very young or I'm getting old, I guess that's it. But he really was seen as America's evangelist. He lived to be 99. He passed away in 2018. And Billy Graham, he um, started his ministry, actually, it really went national here in Los Angeles in 1949. He was with Youth for Christ, and uh, he was traveling, speaking. They set up a tent in downtown L.A., and he began to have some what were called protracted meetings, evangelistic meetings, pulling people out to that tent. And um, the um, publisher, uh, media person Hearst at the time, Randall Hearst, he uh, got a hold of it and he told all the media people to just two words, Puff Graham. And so media started showing up and other things. And those meetings that were supposed to last three weeks were extended to eight weeks in 1949. And Billy Graham has spoken to more people than probably anybody ever will in person because of the time and the era that it was. His last crusade that he hosted was in Flushing Meadows, New York, in 2005, and he spoke to 230,000 people in that setting. But over the course of his years of ministry, of bringing the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ into people's lives around the world, he 
spoke, they say, to over 218 million people in uh, 135 countries and territories. Just incredible. And one of the things that I'm endeared to when I focus on the life of Billy Graham is how uh, he personally touched my life. Billy Graham was a farmer. I come from a farm. In fact, this house right here is the house that he grew up in. They moved it to the site of the Billy Graham Association Library. And this is where his viewing was when he passed away in 2018. And I talked to the, one of the ladies that worked there, and she said, yeah, we were not prepared for all the outpouring and the masses of people that came on that day of his funeral. They built this barn, um, which is really the front of a huge building. And you walk into it, and they've done it up so well as they walk through and remember the ministry and the life, and also they give an incredible appeal to know Jesus Christ at the end. And uh, he wanted them to walk in at the foot of the cross. That's why this glass is here and the door's at the bottom, and you walk through at the foot of the cross. And if you were to turn right in there, their first exhibit are uh, animated dairy cows because he grew up on a dairy farm with his dad. In fact, it was three short miles away from this location there in Charlotte that a group of farmers began to pray many years ago that God would raise up a person to help evangelize the nation and the world. Little did they know that when that group of 29 prayer workers were coming together, just ordinary people, praying, God, raise up someone to help, that it would be one of their own boys because Billy Graham's dad was in that circle of 29. And I thought it was interesting, one of the displays, you have to give me a little bit of margin here because I'm a farm kid. They had a display where there was a plane that had written in the sky, G-P-G. And uh, Billy Graham was standing with his brother, Melvin, out in the fields. And Billy Graham was filling that tug on his heart at the time to maybe serve God. And he said, Melvin, look, G-P-G, go preach the gospel. And Melvin looked at him and he said, no, Billy, that stands for go plow ground. God gives us all different callings. And whether it's a farmer plowing ground or an engineer, a teacher, a doctor, a waiter, a stay-at-home mom, you and I have the opportunity to share the gospel of hope with people. And we need to be about that business. And so the equipping time with Forge that's coming this next weekend is to help you do that, not in a weird way. You will not stand before millions and masses of people in crusades like Billy Graham did, but you will be able, in your own way, in your own personality, be used by God to change other people's lives. And when that starts to happen in your life, nothing compares to it. No income check, no status, 
title? Nothing. When you realize God uses your life to change another person's life and the trajectory of their eternity, opt in. Opt in to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. The um, Billy Graham Archive and Research Center here, pictured, opened up just a half mile away, and that's one of the reasons we went with Forge and the itinerants there. We were given a special tour and, and dialogue and introduction with a lot of the uh, Billy Graham Association leadership that's still there. And uh, as Franklin says here, my father is now laid to rest, but his testimony is not, for it lives on as his messages are still heard through the miracle of modern technology and are available online and through the Billy Graham Archive and Research Center on the grounds of the Billy Graham Library. And I thought, you know, we were walking through this this week, and, and you know, they had files and cabinets and all kinds of things. It's all protected and stuff like that. I mean, he was uh, really a pastor to all the presidents going back to Dwight Eisenhower. And uh, he had a very special relationship with the Queen of England. And there's so much impact there. And we saw file cabinets where letters and correspondences from all these different people. He had, there was another file cabinet that just had volumes like this. And written on the uh, edge of them was the city that he'd preached. And what was in those volumes were his manuscripts and, and uh, things that came from that. And you just try to comprehend the immense breadth of impact that he had. But as Franklin says up here, his testimony is, but his testimony is not for it lives on and his messages are still heard through the miracle of technology. You can listen to Billy Graham stuff and some of the stuff we listened to inspired me to preach today. I don't know when I'll get done. No, I'll be fine. But the um, words there come to you. What lives on after your life? There's only two things that last forever. The Word of God and people. If you walk around the corner from this barn into this garden area over here, uh, there's the tombstones of Ruth Graham and Billy Graham. On Ruth Graham, her grave, which he, Billy said the greatest Christian, whenever he's asked the question, who is the greatest Christian? that he's ever known. He says, my wife, Ruth. And um, raised five kids that are walking with God and involved in ministry life. And on her tombstones, it says, uh, I forget the exactness. I can't quite read it there. But is um, uh, end of construction. Thanks for your patience. She saw that sign. Once she says, I want that on my tombstone. And there it is. We're all under construction, but there's coming a place when it's going to be the end of that construction and what's going to outlive us. Billy Graham's tomb just simply says a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like his quote, though, and I remember watching his um, funeral service back in 1918, which took place on this camp, campus. He said, someday will you read and hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Not only am I deared in one sense because he had that agricultural background, 
But it was the age of probably eight years old that my parents once again came into the living room of our farmhouse, and they changed the channel to watch Billy Graham. I would get a little bothered sometimes because I had shows I want to watch. And so we would sit there as a family, mom and dad and five kids, and we'd watch Billy Graham preach. And if you know his crusades, his crusades end with a hymn called Just As I Am, Without One Plea. And I remember him preaching on eternity that night as a young kid. And uh, I was too embarrassed because my family was around me, but I began to tear up and cry. And so I slipped down in my chair and I went up the old crickety staircase to my bedroom. And I can tell you exactly where that twin bed was seated in that room at the top of the stairs. And I laid there on that bed. And that's the first recollection I have where I surrendered and committed my life to Jesus Christ. It'd be a number of years later that I was gifted the opportunity to travel to Amsterdam, the Netherlands, to be a part of a worldwide training of evangelists called Amsterdam 86. Billy Graham Association has done a lot of training, and they had a big training in Amsterdam in 83 and 86, and then one in 2000. But I sat there amidst these 10,000 evangelists from around the world seeking God's will for my life at that time, I was beginning to finish up graduate school, seminary, and God again moved on my heart through this ministry to say, Carrie, you're not going back to the farm. You're going to give your life to full devotion, vocational ministry to preach the gospel. And so to be able to attend that location with some really rich people who are about forwarding the kingdom of God and to reflect and look forward and know that we have an opportunity next, this next weekend to endear our hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of the lost was a very moving week for me. For some of you, that may touch your heart. For others, it's like, thanks for sharing with you, with us, your week, Carrie. I had a pretty decent one, too, or maybe you had a really bad week. I don't know. But I want us to read the section of Scripture that we're going to look at today in this series that we're in called The Good Life. Because here's the thing that struck me. You walk through the archives and you see all the words, and you walk through the library in which is really just a, a convention a hall showcasing the ministry of the, of the Graham Association over the years and their other itinerants and their influences. And I thought to myself, words, words, there's an awful lot of words that we give. But all the words that are preached, all the words that we share here, even on a Sunday morning, they're all for the purpose of us being able to draw near to the presence, as Scripture says, who was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so as we share some words here this morning, it's not about great preaching, notoriety. It really is about Jesus. 
And we get to look at the words of the one who was called the word. And it's sacred turf in one sense. And it's sacred turf not just for the sake of submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ to be in his presence and to know him. It's sacred turf because he has entrusted us with his words and his ministry to go forward in this world to preach the gospel. And from one generation to the next, if we don't steward that well, those generations will have no hope and they die. And we have a very difficult situation, I believe, even more so than some of the era that Billy Graham grew up in, in our world, and we need to be on it. And I don't know, I think maybe there's a shifting of culture sometimes that, you know, hey, who shows up at big crusades? We're always on our phone, or we have all the technology, that kind of thing. But that wasn't Jesus' plan to draw large crowds. He had a large crowd on this hillside at the Sea of Galilee when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. But he was equipping his disciples and his followers to go into all the world and make disciples. And so what we're doing next weekend, I think, is far more valuable than all the archives of a Billy Graham Association because we are dealing with individual lives here, family units, precious to God, he wants you to know him, but he wants you to be on mission for him. And my prayer for this year for us as a church is that the Lord would raise up within us a fire to be on mission for him. Will you come? 6.30 Friday till 2 on Saturday to meet with God, to be equipped by him for us to be on mission. For his plan today, as it was back in that day, and even through the Billy Graham era, was for the body of Christ to be the messengers. And so as we turn our hearts to Jesus, who is the word, sacred ground, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read the section of Scripture. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you'd stand with me now, Matthew 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25 through verse 34. Listen to the word of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans ran after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we pray that you who are the word would apply your personal word to our life. A word spoken to your disciples and seekers of you 2,000 years ago on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee. Lord, may you bring it to our hearts that we would prioritize our life in the manner in which you desired for people to prioritize their life then and now that it would be a life prioritized around your kingdom. For all that's going on and all the worries that are represented here in this room today, Lord, I pray in these next few moments that people will be able to place them underneath the chair at least and tune into your words speaking to them through the Spirit. So may you apply it in appropriated ways for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount preaching. And if you remember where we were last week, he was discussing um, the second of two hindrances to the good life. The hindrances to the good life that he had been articulating in this particular chapter, not that he preached by chapters, but we call it chapter and chapter six, had to do with two things. The good life is constant interaction with God and his kingdom, the spiritual realm that's around us. And Jesus said, beware, beware of two pitfalls in particular that are going to keep you from the kingdom life, the good life. The first is the desire for approval from others or our reputation. A focus on our reputation and what people think of us, especially if we are Christians and wanting to have some notoriety. And he had called out the Pharisees and the teachers of law for their haughtiness, for their elitism, for, hey, look at us, we're so special. He said, beware. Beware of the hindrance of focus on reputation. And then last week we looked at the second, which was our desire for security by means of material wealth. He says, be wise, it's going to distract from you. And we went through these verses last week. Matthew 6, 19, he then said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. There's a heart attachment to things. I asked you last week to think in terms of some of the things that maybe your heart is attached to. Oh my gosh, I... I I was so blessed to be able to have this nice house, and now I need to focus on this room and that room. And you start to think through, how can I acquire some means to be able to get this and that? Or or maybe you got a car and you want to deck the car out. Or maybe there's some other kinds of means of education that you're applying for. And then you're thinking, oh, I could get this degree, and, and this would open up some other doors. Wherever you make investments at, it pulls your heart that direction. And it's not necessarily bad unless... Those treasures are going in a direction that pulls your heart away from God. 
And the exhortation last week was put your treasures, your resources, your monies in things where God is concerned. And so then when you invest in the life of a missionary overseas, your heart is endeared to that mission field. Or you invest in the life of a local church that's trying to reach a valley and and your heart's endeared to what that is. Your heart follows the treasure. And then Jesus gave that strong exhortation at the end of last week. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he talked about two key hindrances. One had to do with seeking reputation among others all the time. The other was finding um, your security in material wealth. Be aware of those things. You can't serve two masters. You're going to go one of two directions. You may be able to do it for a while, but after a period of time, you're going to be pulled in that direction. Do you understand who's speaking those words right there? This is the smartest man who ever walked on this earth. We don't think of that. He's as the wisest, smartest most knowledgeable of all things because he was God himself. We should give heed to that. We should give heed here this morning to his words about those two big hindrances. But on the heels of this, I'm sure if you were seated amongst the crowd there on that hillside, you'd go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus, thanks for that encouragement. I'm a nobody anyway. Of course, he said the kingdom's available to all people. That's why the Beatitudes that started off the sermon is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted, right? Blessed are those who are meek. He says, you're in. You get to have the kingdom of God, the good life. But they're still wrestling as they're listening to Jesus preach. And as he's preaching, they're thinking, oh my, okay, yeah, I guess I'll just be who I am and the kingdom of God. What? No, two masters? Uh, well, I don't know that I really try to serve money, but uh, these people were, most of them, of, of uh, meager means. There might have been some wealthy in the crowd, but they're like, really? Well, how, how am I going to sustain my life? So right on the heels of this, Jesus knows. He reads his audience well. He knows they're going to start thinking about what? worry. I'm going to worry about this. I'm going to worry about that. And so he jumps into this exhortation then on the heels of that. And he says this, therefore, I tell you that therefore, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you have to ask yourself what? What's it there for? Well, it's therefore because of what he just said. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear, is not life more than food and your body more than clothes. Now, they were meager means, and so those things were real to them. It wasn't like they went to Costco and got stocked up for a month. It was day to day. And the clothes, they didn't have a lot of clothes. And so when they lived out their life, they were very mindful of of their immediate needs, sometimes even just for survival. 
We live in a little bit different culture today, but guess what? Worry doesn't change. Even if you got a stocked refrigerator and other things, you're worrying. In fact, you walked in here or you drove here today probably worrying about something. And Jesus wants to say to you this morning, don't worry about that. Well, thank you. Like, that's big grown-up advice. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop worrying. How, how do I do that? We're going to work. look at some of his antidotes to worry. But I, I want to draw near to you and encourage you with something here this morning. It does not matter what it is. Worry can be cancerous. In fact, it comes from the word referring choking. And worry can choke the life out of you, no matter what your worry's about. Now, we have to distinguish between what is a rightful concern and what's an untrusting worry. And your week this week, maybe you realize that your car needs to have some mechanical fixes to it. That's a rightful concern. Maybe you had a week where you are concerned about being able to uh, get some things paid off. That's a rightful concern. But Jesus is talking about a tipping of the scales between godly concern and ungodly worry. I'm going to do something here that's just a little bit of an interactive thing. You're not going to have to stand, talk, do anything. I, I want you to take 60 seconds. Because the ability to distinguish between ungodly Worry from what is a rightful, godly concern, I cannot do. But the Holy Spirit can. And as we walk through the exhortation of Jesus in this passage, I want you to have that thing front and center that you're worry, 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 worrisome about. And so I want you to pray for 60 seconds or seek the Lord and say, is uh, all, are all the things flowing through my mind, responsibilities, my schedules, all that kind of... It, it, what is a rightful concern that I need to be responsible to? But what has tipped into this scale of worry that's choking my life, keeping me from the good life of the kingdom? And is it a worry about a reputation thing? Is it a worry about a treasure thing or a, a wealth thing? I, I don't know. Or maybe it's a worry about a health thing. I don't know. I want you to find that worry. Trust me, I found mine working my way toward <laughs> this message. And there's a few of them. I'm going to pick one. This is my one. So 60 seconds. Bow your head. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is the worry that's ungodly in your life right now?
Amen. You got your worry? Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, and he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I love being able to sort of preach in front of the depiction of where I preached at because Jesus, he was a master storyteller. He's a master communicator, and in the middle of that, being a master storyteller, and so he tells parables and other things. And so as he's on this hillside, what do you think he does? He points things out. There's probably a whole bunch of birds just sort of maybe flying by or some over here feeding off of something. And he turns over in there and he says, hey, man, just look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't store or reap. They're not worried. Why? The Heavenly Father. He takes care of them. Do you think birds worry? I don't. No, I, I, I don't see a lot of birds dying of starvation. I don't see them falling out of the sky because they don't have something to eat. Now, you have to distinguish between two things here. They don't worry, but they do work. And they work hard at being able to find their resources and their food and whether they're plucking something out of the ground or something else. God's providing for them. I, I think it's a beautiful passage and statement because you think in terms of, you know, well, God's too busy. He made the world. He's got a lot of things going on. No, God's actually taking care of every sparrow and every robin. He's taking care of them. And if he's taking care of them, don't you think that he will take care of you? I came across this um, quote from a... Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's quote, quoted by a few different people, but it's, it's uh, a depiction of maybe what a robin might say to a sparrow. You ready? Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and hurry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. It's almost a facetious analogy, but it's not. We're created by God. Birds don't have souls. I know of, right? But you do. And you and I are created in the image of God. And if he's taken care of the birds of the sky, don't you think he's going to take care of you? So that concern, that worry you had, that you identified, you need to immediately understand that you have a heavenly Father that provides for you. And as a heavenly Father, first he's a Father, so he cares. He's going to bring a provision. You ever had one of your kids come to you worrying about something financially or this or that, and you're like, look at them going, that's none of your business. It's going to be okay. We got enough to cover it. We're good. It's my responsibility as daddy. I'll take care of it. And so we have a father who is in heaven, who has all resources, and our dad can take care of that need. Whether it's an emotional need, a physical need, a spiritual need, right? 
You have a heavenly Father. So endear yourself to this understanding as surely as the heavenly Father oversees the creation of the world. That heavenly Father is intently involved in your life. And it's not any harder for him to be involved in your life than in the 7, 8 billion people on this planet. Because he's God. He has all resources. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's, you know, omnipresent. He does not have a struggle in giving you 100% attention to your particular need. And Jesus says, can any of you, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In other translations, the Greek, there's some ambiguity into the term, talks about, you know, can you add a cubit to your height, which is like 18 inches from the elbow to here. And, and, but this idea that whether it's a, a stature issue or a time issue, Jesus is saying, what good is the worry that you're pouring your time into going to get you? I mean, when you think in terms of sins, I mean, if you rob a bank, at least you get some money out of it. But I don't know what you get out of worry, right? And Jesus is saying, come back and think about it. None of us, in all the worry that we do, adds any hour to our life or any other kinds of things. And then he carries back on with it. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, who had all this grandeur in the Old Testament, in all of his splendor, was not dressed like one of these. So what do you do again? I don't think that these are the kinds of flowers that are here, but there was grass in the field, and he chose to make it beautiful, so he put flowers in the middle of it. And he says, you know, you're all worried about your clothing your sustenance in life, but look here, how incredible is that? How beautiful the flowers are, and the heavenly Father does what? He takes care of that. That heavenly Father is overseeing all things. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Now, that word little faith is actually just used by Jesus. I think it's used about 10 times in five different verses. It's almost like name calling, like you little faither. You worry wart. You're a little faither. Jesus? Yeah, you. You're a little faither. Really? Yeah. You're a little faither because you're not trusting in me. You're not trusting in me and my provision. And then I can take care of things and work on your behalf. And so he says in verse 31, do not, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All these things you put in there, the blank of what God just spoke to you about through the Holy Spirit. Your worry, do not worry about that here this morning. For the pagans, those who are outside of knowing God in relationship with Him. They run after these things all the time. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's a pretty big event that happened up here in Silicon Valley this week, right? There was a regional bank that collapsed. And good chance people are going to lose significant amounts of money. Do you think if you had a million or two million dollars in that bank, you would have concern today about, oh my goodness, what happened to that wealth? Will I get it back or not? 
You see, when our eyes are on the things of this world, we become consumed with the things of the world. But if our treasure, if we store up treasure in heaven, then it releases us from a lot of the intensity and the worry that comes with all the, the substance and the provisions and the accolades and uh, uh, the uh, <clears throat> good standing before other people in this life. Store for yourselves treasure there. It's not being indifferent to the needs of today. And Jesus is not knocking wealth. He's not knocking people that go after provisions. He's not knocking working, that's for sure. But what he's concerned about as a little faither is where you're myopic, which means you got this tunnel vision and you're just focused on the things that are here now. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What's the next thing? How do I get the next provision? How do I get the next you know, uh, cool thing that's out there? How do I get that degree done? Or how do I get the better job? And he just says, chill. Chill. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Now, there's always that distinguishing, right, between what I want and what I need. That's all come to the play in there. But when it comes to these needs for the substance of life and the provision, you must know that your Heavenly Father is seeing and observing and watching and caring for you. So <clears throat> let's start to list a few of these worry antidotes, all right? Number one, for a worry antidote to push back against that, Jesus says, is remember, remember your heavenly Father. He loves you and provides all things. Even if you have never come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ this morning, you need to hear this. You may be beat up. That's why I always like that Billy Graham song. And my dad loved that Billy Graham song because that Billy Graham song at the end of the Crusades was just as I am without one plea. You come just as you are, sinful, broken, messed up, indifferent. You just come just as you are. You have a heavenly Father who wants to love you and, and change your life. And so we come just as we are, but we have to remember that He's a loving heavenly Father, and He desires to provide for us. One of the names for God is Jehovah Jireh, which means our God provides so you have to remember that over and over and over again, especially when that worry starts to build its way back into your life during the course of a day. The second is to rest. Rest anew on God's faithfulness, trusting Him to meet your need. And as I always say, rest is like you sitting in your chair. You, you, you are committed to trusting that that chair is going to hold you up and so you put your full weight on it. If you've got a worry in life right now, where are you taking that worry? Well, I'm worrying about it. The more I worry about it, the more I feel that uh, maybe something will happen, or if I at least worry about it, even if nothing else happens, I at least try to do something, right? No. What you're going to be doing is you're going to sit and rest in God's faithfulness, and you're going to trust Him to meet your need. It doesn't mean that you don't work or take initiative but you're not going to allow worry to come and choke you out in life and keep you from the good life. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says this, casting all your care upon him because he cares about you. There was an old chorus I used to sing. I remember walking country roads with it and saying, I will cast all my cares upon you. I will lay all of my burdens down at the cross. And any time that I don't know what to do, 
I will cast all my cares upon you. Go find that song and memorize it and go sing it. Because that's a part of the obedience of taking your worry and trusting God is to cast your care upon Him. In uh, the Passion Translation, 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, pour out all your worries and stress upon Him and leave it there. For He always tenderly cares for you. Your worry, your stress, your anxiety, even if it was a really crappy week and you got a lot of concerns about the week ahead, you need to take that to the Lord today before you walk out of these rooms and you need to lay it here up by the altar. Maybe you just need to come and pray after church. And leave it here. Don't take it with you. You might have to work towards some accomplishment to change that issue, but the worry Leave it here. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And leave it at the altar. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Because you are not built as a human being to carry that day in and day out. And Jesus knew it. I don't know how you pragmatically can do that in your life. Maybe there's a place in your house Maybe it's by writing it on a piece of paper and burning it, but somehow practically work at resting and relinquishing that worry, that anxiety, and that stress, and see yourself even physically giving it to Jesus. But then he steps into what I believe is one of the more transformational thoughts for us, not just with worry, but with all of our life. In fact, it's a verse that's very dear to me because it's a verse that mobilized me to serve the mission and the purposes of God when there were a lot of other things that uh, I could have done and I can still do. He comes back and he adds this, but seek first. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, when he shares this aspect of seeking first the kingdom of God, it's not like, hey, you need to get yourself saved. You need to come to Jesus. Maybe some of you do. I don't know what you do with worry if you don't know Jesus personally. Come to him just as you are. But to seek first the kingdom of God is mean put your mind to the spiritual realm of what's going on around you. It doesn't mean add one more thing to your list. Oh man, I got to take care of the kids. I got to be able to make sure that I knock it down at work. I got this uh, education degree I'm trying to do. Uh, oh yeah, I got to seek first the kingdom of God. No, seeking first the kingdom of God means that you are going to seek God's kingdom in the midst of all these responsibilities that you are doing. So as you're taking care of your family and providing for your children, Seek first the kingdom of God as you're doing that, which is the rule and the reign of Christ. What do you want me to be doing today as I take care of my children, Lord? Oh, wow, things are really blowing up at work. It's pretty hot and heavy, and I don't know how I'm going to... God, what would you have me to do for your kingdom today at work with my coworkers? How do you bring the kingdom of God in the midst of all things? And his righteousness refers to his right upstanding rightness in your life. How do I live his life, let his life live through me to be his representative in the midst of this situation. How do I respond appropriately and biblically? 
but seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be given to you. What things? All your wants? No, all your needs. His provisions will be adequate. You seek first the kingdom of God. So if you've been looking this direction for acquiring things, reputation, notoriety, uh, pleasures, whatever it may be, turn from that pursuit, turn towards the pursuit of the kingdom of God in all things, and he will provide for you exactly what you need. So this verse is big, and it's especially big this morning if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. To seek first the kingdom of God means you're going to seek his reign and leadership in your life. And Jesus does. He says, come just as you are. And what he did on the cross, by dying for your sins, being raised from the grave, making the power of Satan, he can do in your life. He can come and give you redemption, change your heart. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And that's not only eternity. When you die at the end of this life, you get to live in this life because he comes and it changes you from the inside. That's why he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants to change your life. He doesn't want to mess it up. He doesn't want to you know, make you worry about all other kinds of things. He wants to give you the good life. But you can't have the good life if you don't have Jesus living within, seeking first his kingdom. So this instruction for you, if you're not a believer, is today's a great day to do it of any other day. Just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I repent from all these other worries and directions I have. I want you, Jesus, to come into my life and be king and leader. There's transformation that begins in that moment when Christ comes into your life. I don't know how this verse may apply to you this morning, but this is a great verse. It's one to have memorized. Carry, <clears throat> seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. So let's just add to that list as we begin to finish out. Uh, remember your heavenly father loves you and provides all things. Rest anew on God's faithfulness, trusting him to meet your need and replace worry. Replace it. Exchange it. Just like you take back something to a store. Excuse me, I need to exchange this. Exchange that worry with an active focus on God's kingdom work. If I can just be so blunt, I will be. You can give me a hard time afterwards or just ignore me and walk out. Maybe never come back. I don't know. <clears throat> I know there's responsibilities and other things at hand for this weekend. I understand that. So I'm not being mean when I say this. But I am at loss for words why we would not devote ourselves to six or seven hours to be intently trained and equipped to be about the kingdom's work. What else is so important? What else is so important that you can't carve out some time that you'd be watching NCAA football basketball games anyway? I would be there, right? They come out with the brackets today. But no, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. And I want to exchange my worry about things in this life for the focus on God's kingdom work. And you're all saying, I am so glad that conference is done because next week he can't pitch it anymore. <clears throat> it's not a conference. It's a heart issue. What are we consumed with in our life? 
Is it the worries of this world or is it with the kingdom's work? Replace your worry. And then he finishes out. <clears throat> he finishes out with this verse. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you're struggling this morning thinking about, okay, I don't know how well I'm going to do that. I'm still going to carry this worry out that was burdened on my heart uh, during that prayer time, and I don't know. Well, then let me just add a fourth and at least try to make it more uh, narrow in the exhortation. The fourth is refuse to carry worry of the previous day into the new day. Sometimes we wake up and go, what do I need to worry about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was worried about that all day yesterday. I'm just going to pick it up and keep worrying about it today. Jesus says, every day has enough worries of its own. Let it go. Refuse to carry the worry of a previous day into a new day. And so if I am resting anew in God's provision, relinquishing it to him, laying it at the foot of the cross, casting my cares upon him, if I'm replacing that worry with active focus on the kingdom of God, and then that worry comes back to my mind, at least on a daily basis, I can say, hey, I've been there, done that. I worried good about it yesterday. I worried about it real good yesterday. I don't need to worry about it today. Yay, you worried about it great yesterday. Don't carry the worry into the new day. Because thing is, you're probably going to pick up a new worry in the new day. Every day has enough worries of its own. So take these exhortations from Jesus. They're not my exhortations. It's not like, just stop it. Just stop that worry. Remember, rest, replace, and refuse through the power of the Spirit. In Ephesians Four, and I'm going to ask the band to come up. It says this, The Lord is at hand. In the ESV version. The Lord is at hand. Your heavenly Father is at hand. So do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, listing your request to God, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So as we sing this concluding song, which we're actually going to go back and sing Shout to the Lord, I'm going to ask the ushers to take their place, receive your tithes and your offerings, giving your treasures to God and His work, your connect cards, if there's a prayer request there, a request, or, or maybe just write on there, I want to be in a Plan A conference, whatever, all that. So they're going to come and do that. But what I really want you to do is, as we finish down here is to do what it says in Philippians 4. To not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And these altars are open or you can pray where you're at. I want you to give it to the Lord, that worry. And then it says, and the peace, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That worry, cast your cares upon him and leave it here. Lay it down. If not up front, lay it down where you're at. 
linger after service today if you need to do business with the Lord. I think it's an incredible reality that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke on this subject of worry, which is so a part of the human existence. May you rightfully discern between godly cares and responsibilities and the ungodly sin of worry and give it to the Lord. We shout to the Lord, we pray quietly to the Lord, but we go to the Lord with this. Not your neighbor, not your friend, not complaining to the next co-worker about the boss or whatever it may be. You, you go to Jesus and you can go to Jesus right now with that worry. And so let's sing this as a benediction, but let's also sing it as an invitation that we would go to the Lord with what he's laid on your heart for today.
like to pray with someone, there's a prayer area up here to your right that someone would be glad to pray with you about. If you want to linger and pray with the Lord, can you continue to lift up your praise and worship to Him, for the one who cares for you, to your Heavenly Father, then this is your place of sanctuary. But I want you to go and be encouraged this week that you have a Lord that's working on your behalf and providing all things. Love to see you back on Friday night at 6.30. But now may you go in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. May you be filled to the full with joy in His presence as He actively works on your behalf for all that stands before you this week. In God's name, God bless. Amen.